Welcome, friends, to Workplace Injury Prevention, a Fit for Work podcast where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. My name is Curtis Kopotic, and I am your host, and I am joined by my co-host, Amber Brown. Hey, Curtis. We've got John Groves, the CEO of Fit for Work, back with us again this episode, as well as Kyle Malam joining us this episode. He is the chief operating officer of Fit for Work, and they are going to be diving a little bit deeper into early intervention. And what we're going to be talking about today is that complex human interaction of early intervention. We're going to be talking about a little bit more. And the whole concept is that you will talk to employees about safety before they get hurt and just how it's so much more complex and how it should be so much more complex than just a, hey, how you doing? Exactly. We're going to dive a little bit deeper into how fit for work early intervention differs from others by taking a little behind the scenes look at some of the other pieces that we've got going on to enhance the early intervention. So take a listen to this episode. So we're going to be continuing our topic from our last episode where we're going to be expanding on early interventions and just make sure everybody's on the same page. We'll start with you, John. What do you mean when we say early intervention? Yeah, and I certainly encourage everybody to check out the, the previous podcast as well for some definition. But in in short, it's intervening with an employee before they are formally hurt. So that might be from a musculoskeletal standpoint. They may have early soreness. They may have ergonomic challenges. They may have best practice behaviors challenges. But the early er- intervention here is in reference to musculoskeletal injuries. All right. So now that we're all caught up on that, how are early intervention providers equal and how are they different? Yeah, no, good question. And just like any uh, industry, there's variety of what you see out there. There's three basic type of models that we see. And one is the continuing education model, the network model, and then the direct employment of the on-site injury prevention specialist model. We do that third version, but let me fly over the pros and cons of those. You know, the continuing education model, that's, you know, one where various people that are interested in providing services go get continuing education and then turn around in their local communities and make local connections. They have real no ability to scale past, you know, the local area. And it's really meant to be a strategy for those local medical clinics of some kind to get more throughput through their clinics ultimately, but at least have a relationship with a local provider. The other model is the network model. So someone lands a contract with a client, whether it be local or nationally, and then turns around and and all the the service is delivered through a kind of a mishmash of different contractors. I always kind of say a loosely controlled group of subcontractors uh, across the country. And those two models, by their very definition, aren't designed to necessarily be scalable where you control the, the quality assurance because they are multiple, you know, by design, by definition, they are different providers across the country. They're not one organization. And so when you look at the third option, which is where we employ the specialist directly, the onsite injury prevention specialist, directly, that gives you that best chance at a predictable and consistent result. And it actually, I think, forces the vendor partner to own the results and the the client experience. So that's why we go with the, the third model. Now, it might sound easy, okay, just employ them. But when you start to consider there's over 300,000 athletic trainers, physical therapists, and occupational therapists in the country, and there's not a single teaching institution that teaches this and, you know, and teaches a model of 
being proactive versus reactive. You look at a $3 trillion healthcare system that's completely reactive. It's a big task to just suddenly think, well, I'll hire somebody. And they'll suddenly think differently than they're trained, differently than they're incentivized, differently than any of their peers are doing. So when you look at how rare that is to have that perspective, when you're in the model where you employ the provider, you really have to invest heavily in what we call that paradigm shift, using that provider in an off-label way. And that's where our relationship with our sister company, Evidence in Motion, which is is an education, musculoskeletal education company, has been an unparalleled advantage for us from a talent attraction and retention tool, as well as obviously from a quality assurance perspective, being able to leverage that massive hybrid musculoskeletal learning platform to make sure we have the consistency across the board when we're bringing people through that paradigm shift. So what are some of the differentiators of fit for work? Yeah, you know, we always kind of say infrastructure, culture, and results. And that's a good, you know, I think it's a good question, Amber. And results, of course, get the conversation started at a 50% reduction or more. That's pretty predictable for us. We're able to deliver that. That that gets the conversation going. But if you kind of boil that back and say, all right, well, how do you get that? Is that just because you hire somebody, put them out there, and, and, and then the rest takes care of itself? And while the provider certainly brings a whole slew of skills and, and value, the infrastructure and the culture, if you get those right, really allow you to deliver those results more predictably. And when you do those things right, when you do the infrastructure right, when you do the culture right, you can get consistent results, predictable results. You can be scalable and you you show to your client that you are a well-run vendor, that it's not just somebody that's you know coming on and you know lots of turnover, they're leaving and you can't keep pro- providers there. You really want to be able to attract those A players from a cultural standpoint. And so when you focus on your culture and get that right, the develop people as they come in, not just pigeonhole them into the role and say, you know, that's it for you. We, we always kind of say with growth comes opportunities. And, you know, culturally, people that come into Fit for Work expect to be developed. And then from an infrastructure standpoint, you know, you got to put things in place from a best practice training perspective, bringing providers in, as you guys know, there is no outside training in the outside world to come in and say, oh yeah, I know how to prevent. I mean, that everybody's classically trained to pick up the mess afterwards, to put Humpty Dumpty back together again. So you really have to invest heavily in that infrastructure so that people transition from a reactive provider to a proactive one. And I think sometimes to the outside, that just seems like, well, yeah, they're a musculoskeletal provider. They know, they know this. No, 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 no. I mean, there's over 300,000 of the providers like this in the United States, PTs, OTs, and athletic trainers. And there's not a single teaching institution in, in the country that teaches this. So it's really imperative to get that right. And of course, our affiliation with Evidence in Motion, one of the country's leading education companies for musculoskeletal training, really helps us, gives us an unparalleled advantage from that as well as some of the things we have with our pillars of support, uh, which is, you know, our certified professional ergonomists, our certified safety professionals, our fit for work predicts, which we'll talk about in a second with our AI process to predict injuries. You got to put some infrastructure in there. It's not just a staffing agency. So when you look at what differentiates, yes, the results, they get the best in in industry results, but that doesn't come just because we hire. That comes because we have infrastructure, we get the culture right, and the results come much more predictably. Well, and let's expand upon each one of those a little bit more individually. So I know Amber and I have this experience, but some of our listeners may not have a full understanding of some of these additional resources that we utilize in our process. So Kyle, we'll start with with you. If you could expand a little bit more on what that Fit for Work predicts is and how do we leverage that AI to prevent injuries and just talk about how powerful it is for the employers. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I'll touch on that. And it's incredibly beneficial and powerful for obviously our staff and our services as we're coming in and and providing injury prevention services day in, day out, but also our clients and their staff and really brings a collaborative type of approach to say, how can we all work together to be more effective, to prevent more injuries so the, you know, the workforce can go home at the end of the day and do the things they want to do outside of work as well. And our Fit for Work predicts is something that we've been working on for quite some time and, and getting enough data. And really, that's the basis of it is it allows our historical observations and interactions to start developing patterns that come out of it. So it's AI process that's looking for those patterns out of our historical observations and interactions that provides a recommendation of which employees would benefit from a checking in on them and their job. You talk about how powerful that can be. It removes the guesswork. It removes of the thought of who should I go follow up with next. The technology is providing that information. So truly, we all can work on what do we need to do about it? How can we prevent this individual from potentially developing symptoms or being injured? And we start looking at it then from our three leading indicators, from an ergonomic angle, from any type of best practice or behavioral angles. And then if there's any early soreness present or early symptoms, we want to address that. Let's resolve that as quick as we can. And then when we start looking at the other, the ergonomics and the behaviors, that's where we also can really rely on the pillars of support. As John mentioned earlier, you know, we have a team of certified professional ergonomists. We have a team of certified safety professionals. These are individuals that are experts within their field credentialed and very technical in nature, our providers have access to that within the same company, easy at their fingertips to get some information, some knowledge or saying, how how can we maximize the potential here to prevent this from progressing on? That's incredibly powerful to be able to be more effective. And it just starts with removing the who do we follow up with? Let's use technology to our benefit, to our client's benefit, to remove that part of the equation. And let's just focus on what we can do about it. And let's use all the resources, all the expertise that's available within one organization to make a difference. That's where our predicts really, truly is a big investment in our technology, in our infrastructure, and our clients are are really loving that ability to remove that guesswork. Our providers are able to go out and, and make a difference and use their skills and their talents in an even more impactful way as well. So that's our Fit for Work predicts and how it's really beneficial for everybody to make a difference. You know, I've always liked the saying of using your resources and it it really gets you to kind of dig deeper into what's around you and and what do you have available. And and actually both John and Kyle, you both have mentioned that we've got the certified professional ergonomists and certified safety professionals on our team. They're they're in our back pocket and they're resources that we can use. How is, is this influence important for employers? Yeah, you know, I'll touch on it. Johnny may be able to expand some as well. But what you have when you have an organization with multiple different professionals, experts within their field, and especially when you start talking about technical experts that are recognized with credentials out there within those organizations as being the experts, as having the experience and have achieved all the certifications and gotten that background, gives you a level of obviously credibility enhances the results or or the recommendations or the outcomes within that. 
And what ultimately you get is a multifaceted solution to be able to interact and make an impact in very dynamic environments, very dynamic business situations, and dealing with obviously the complex individual, another human, to be able to make a difference at preventing those injuries. So when we start talking about you know, CPEs, there's roughly a little over 800 of those within the United States. We have multiple on our staff to be able to make a difference at preventing injuries. When we look at certified safety professionals, we obviously want to be safe and do what we need to to keep our staff safe and be able to predict or prevent injuries. We also want to be able to bring that expertise to our clients to help them. Another set of eyes to be able to be an extension of, of their safety teams to make sure that we can do everything we can to prevent these injuries. So you have high-level technical experts within their fields supporting our boots-on-the-ground staff who bring their own traits and skills and expertise with them themselves to get this multifaceted solution that can adapt and change based on all kinds of variables within individual industries, individual sites, and individual complex human interactions themselves. That's incredibly powerful to be able to have that level of resource, that focus, and be able to get the information that gets the best outcome, quite frankly. And what would you add to that, John? Yeah, I would just say, you know, we, we look at our leading indicators, and I think Kyle covered it beautifully, but we look at our leading indicators. We want to attack leading indicators to an injury, early soreness, ergonomics, and behaviors. And our pillars of support give professional level support in all those areas in addition to what the on-site injury prevention specialist brings. And so, you know, from an ergonomic perspective, we got engineering and you can, you know, work those things through at a provider level or at a professional level or a combination of that. You know, from a behavior standpoint, you kind of see out there behavior-based safety. It's not just behavior-based safety. It's not just engineering something out. The reality of these things are it's the multitude of these things. It's kind of the, the cauldron of all early soreness, ergonomics, and behaviors is really what solves the issue. Pretending that it's all can be engineered out totally ignores the fact that people come to work with sorenesses that are work and non-work related or they don't even know. Pretending that it's just a behavior-based safety process totally ignores the fact that you don't want to have an ill-advised setup and train around that. You know, you want to optimize the setup and the training. So, you know, it's the age-old argument, chicken or the egg. And we look at it and say, the reality is, is they all impact. And so we have, a, you know, to our knowledge, the only vendor in the profession that has that. And as it relates even back to the Fit for Work predicts with the AI, I mean, all of this is geared towards creating and facilitating the interaction. You're not leveraging these things to prevent the interaction, the complex human interaction, solving those issues, whether you're using AI, whether you're using an ergonomics process or a behavior-based safety process or a symptom response process. It is a complex human interaction that needs to occur, and all these processes facilitate it. They don't try to eliminate it because the reality is it is a complex human interaction that just can't be digitized, can't be can't be handled blandly through an app. It is complex because we're dealing with humans, and, and I think in a world where a lot of people are racing the other way intentionally trying to remove the empathy, remove the care and the touch points. We're standing strong saying, absolutely not. The key to this is humans and humans are you know, social creatures and they have complexities to them that need to be matched with human interaction, not replacing that human interaction. Well, and it definitely makes a lot of sense that you would need to have that type of interaction to make a change. And it just kind of speaks to the, you know, culture uh, is a huge factor. We'll see. To have a sports ana analogy, a team might have individual talent, but if they don't have a culture to work together, things will still fail and they won't succeed. 
If you've ever felt the need to make changes to reduce injuries at your company, but you aren't sure where to start, head over to our website, www.wellworkforce.com and click on the connect with us button. Partnering with Fit for Work will provide on-site early intervention, industrial ergonomic experts, employee testing and safety compliance, all helping you make the changes that your individual company needs. So kind of expanding on culture, what do you find unique about the culture of fit for work and that importance of the employees? How would you kind of measure that culture externally? Yeah, all good questions. And I I really think, you know, first off for a client, why do they care about our culture? And, you know, the basic premise is is if we're a giant mess uh, of people, we're not going to be able to deliver, you know, a good product, a good service. And you can read any HBR article, obviously, of any company that has high culture. They deliver exquisite service. And so we've, we've really tripled down on that. We see that as part of our secret sauce. That's easy to talk about. It's a whole heck of a lot different to actually pull off, especially when you think about you know, the way we are set up. We're not in clinics or offices where we're all together. We're spread out and domiciled directly on site with all our clients in over 850 locations in 46 states and up into Canada. So a lot of our providers don't even see one another except maybe once a year. And so how do you make culture, make people feel connected to something bigger than just their themselves being part of something, uh, you know, that's different and making an impact, meaningful impact in people's lives? And so we, we really double down on that. We have some key attributes that, you know, you can point to. I think there's also things culturally that are tough to point to, but some of the things that we can point to, we certainly outpunch our weight for a company our size. We have a chief cultural officer, for instance. She's on the Forbes Council of Coaches. So, you know, we think she's cool, but obviously other people do as well. And that helps our leadership set vision and lead and, and be developed both personally and professionally. We also have leadership coaches internally on staff. Again, I think something that outpunches our weight for a company our size, you know, on par with Fortune 500 clients, we're looking at our EQ. We're, we're deciding whether, you know, we can bring the best versions of ourselves to work every day. We're looking at things like Enneagram and above and below the line and those and applying those in our personal lives and our professional lives and, in, and tying them to performance. So we take that very, very seriously. Now, how do you measure that? You know, there's all sorts of proxy measurements. MPS would be one, perhaps people could argue. One that we thought was really cool is we were one of 20 companies in the country a couple of years ago to go through a beta test with Indeed, indeed indeed.com. And obviously, we post a lot of jobs on Indeed.com. And everybody's pretty familiar with that's how you kind of check, check a future employer out. And the deal was is we could have everybody, you know, anonymously submit to a survey of indeed about our culture and uh, but we had to live with the results we couldn't sift through and take this one out or that one out and so we readily signed up for that and as about as fast as you could sign up for anything as you can imagine very proud of that and you can go out and compare and contrast those findings you know we lead the pack and it's not even close so is that the only measure out there no but i mean there's a lot of external or you know there's a lot of ways that you could theorize to measure that to me seems a pretty crystal clear one so at the end of the day again i think you know doubling tripling down on culture is extremely important and like i said before Results starts the conversation because that's what clients want. But in order to get that across 15 sites in 15 different states, how do you get consistent, scalable results that are very predictable to get? And you, it starts with, with people. It starts with the talent that we have on the team, getting the right people in the right part of the bus and being willing to be personally and professionally developed and always bring the best versions of themselves to work every day. 
you know, part of that personal and professional development that I encountered when I first came to Fit for Work was all of the courses that are available for us to participate in and and to take and expand our knowledge. One of those courses was Pain Science, and we've done a few different episodes and interviews on this podcast about pain science, but we don't necessarily hear anybody else in kind of this early intervention, on-site professional capabilities talking about pain science. So can we just get a quick, what is pain science and how does it make our early interventions better? Yeah, absolutely. And I'll give some fly over here. And I know Kyle has, from an operational perspective, a lot of detail on that. So in short, what I'll say about pain science is it's, you know, it, it allows us to help people reframe their pain experience because pain is an output of the brain in response to a threat. And without getting into too much depth of neuroscience outside of the scope, obviously, of this this podcast conversation, but, you know, when you look at a threat, if we all see a lion in a room, you know, I think it's pretty universal. That's a that's a pretty big threat that there wouldn't be very many humans that wouldn't perceive that as a threat. That's, you know, it's pretty predictable from that perspective. But now if you have a soreness in the shoulder, you can start to see from a cultural perspective, from your history, you know, what you do for a living, what other things are going on in your world and life. Do you have other health issues? Are you getting enough sleep? Uh, do you like your job? Uh, are you frustrated with things? You can start to understand and start to conceive what a wide variety of response where some people might look at that as a big threat, especially when you work in a physical and repetitive job, right? I mean, you're lifting maybe 20,000 pounds a day or some of these things. Having a soreness is a bigger deal than when you're sitting at a desk. So you have a, you have a wide variety in that realm. And that's where you see kind of things that look like the same injury and have totally different responses. And so pain science shows us through research that we can address that and address that successfully, knowing that words matter. You tell somebody they're a ticking time bomb, that doesn't really do much for them therapeutically. In fact, it, it accelerates and amplifies their issue. And that's pure science. I mean, that's that's not us theorizing that that's been proven, uh, especially here in the last five to seven years with a lot of the research. So yeah, we don't hear anybody else talking about that. And what I can tell you is in the next 10 years, you will, because it is absolutely critical. You're starting to see it in the chronic pain treatment world. And we're applying that to people who are not formally injured. So all of our, as you know, all of our on-site injury prevention specialists are applying that. In fact, we're even helping clients apply it in, in the way that they talk. It is extremely critical to do that. Now, one of the advantages that we have is that our sister company, Evidence in Motion, and you know, again, you could go on to Evidence in Motion, a whole podcast about them, but they are an, a musculoskeletal education company. They do everything from weekend courses for continuing education all the way up to doctorate programs for physical therapy, occupational therapy. They are university partners with universities like Baylor, Tufts, you know, Purdue, and others. So they're, you know, they have a huge spectrum of hybrid learning platform and musculoskeletal knowledge. And because of that, we have unfettered access to this pain science to get our entire workforce, our entire injury prevention force up to speed, which has been a, an incredible advantage from a talent attraction and retention tool. As you know, us providers, musculoskeletal providers, whether it be PTOT or athletic trainer, we're thirsty creatures when it comes to professional development and, and continuing education. Certainly, that is a huge attraction. So big advantage for us having EIM be part of our company. But you know, I think Kyle probably has some detail in there that uh, if I didn't touch on too much of it, but some detail on how that really works on a day-to-day. Yeah, no, most definitely. I'll kind of explain how we're utilizing it in one-on-one -on -one interactions and also with our clients and kind of just summarizing it down what John kind of explained there. What we know about pain is it's really complex, it's subjective, 
and it's very personal for each individual. So what we know is if we can say and identify threats, we can address fears, we can decrease pain because we know pain is a threat and we can do something about it in every situation. So we're taking this to our clients, this training around the pain itself, even though it's complex, it's subjective and very personal. All we have to do is help identify the threats. We can find ways to address the fears and then we can decrease pain. So one-on-one, our providers that know this, they need to, when they engage with an individual who's having some pain, having those symptoms, they know that individual. They want to know, you know, why do I hurt? Will I get better? What should I do? And how can you help me? So we're bringing that education, the right information at the right time can make a big, big difference. So we're doing that systematically, proactively educating on pain or those that are having kind of that complex pain, discomfort scenario that's very personal. How can we help that one-off individual? We're doing that. And then how are we doing that with our clients as well of helping them be a part of educating on pain, decreasing the resilience on opioids and and all the bad that can come, unnecessary medical care and surgeries and, and shots and all that. How can they can be a part of that solution as well? And how we're applying that is we're taking some of kind of the same philosophy or some of the same structure. John mentioned evidence emotion has done in their research. And what they were able to find is that if you educate school-age children on pain and what it is and how they, what they can do about it, they have better outcomes later in life. They don't utilize as much health care. They have better outcomes and, and health and, and just general wellness. That's a good thing. They also have been able to find very recently that if you educate the parents themselves of these school-age children, the outcomes of the children is better as well from a pain and healthcare utilization perspective. So there's obviously information that gets transferred through the daily life. So what we're doing is looking at it and saying, how can we take this you know, very complex thing and simplify it so it's truly understandable that we're just looking to identify threats, address fears of pain will go down with our clients and their supervisors. How can we help them be more informative about the pain process and help work towards solution with their you know, teams or pods or work group or shifts, whatever they may be called. So they have a higher resiliency to pain. They don't become resilient or reliant or excuse me, reliant on, you know, the things that are that we don't want, opioids, unnecessary medical care, surgeries, all those types of things. How can we do that? And it's through this education, this PNE, and we have that luxury of having the expertise, a part of the organization, the ability to bring it and industrialize it into you know, our clients and our own staffs and taking it from a one-on-one level, but also bringing it so it starts to become part of the culture, it starts to be change agents within the employer to change this whole paradigm of chronic pain that we have in the U.S. specifically and turn to make a difference. And it's really exciting to be on that forefront. And as John mentioned, you know, this is going to be a much larger deal in the future. But right now, we're really making a difference and bringing it in so our clients are part of that change as well, bringing pain science to the forefront to make a difference in each individual's life. And hopefully, it passes over into, you know, being at home as well within their families as been able to demonstrate and research in other areas with our sister companies. So really a fascinating piece helps make us different and more impactful with every single interaction in our clients as well as they do their normal engagements with their staff. So overall, and kind of just summing up our whole talk today, with the early intervention, it's not just you know, us getting out on the floor and talking with our clients' employees, but there's so much background and 
other enriching items that Fit for Work puts into it. The education of their employees, the certified professional ergonomists, certified safety professionals, really getting into this research and getting pain science out there. So there's a whole gamut that we can provide, not just the early intervention. We really want to thank both of you guys for coming on again today, and we hope somebody can take away some some good information. Absolutely. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us on. Uh, it's always fun to have John and Kyle on and kind of highlight some of those things that Fit for Work's doing. And what are some of the things that stuck out to you, Amber? You know, I really like the piece about culture and how John really talked about what kind of a culture that we have as employees at Fit for Work. I think that's something that's really important and it's a piece that we can bring into our clients too, because as we're happy, healthy, and excited employees of Fit for Work, you know, that only bleeds into the clients, into the interactions that we're having with those employees on site. So if you are someone that has possibly a morale issue or a culture issue on your campus or within your factory. You know, take a look at, at what Fit for Work has to offer and some of those options that we have, such as the ergonomics or the safety visits, early intervention, like we talked about today, because that can only let your employees know that you are caring about them. You do have their best interests in mind by bringing on a company like Fit for Work. And it's really true. And it's so great to have somebody like Fit for Work and I kind of compare all of our services to basically it's Batman's utility belt. I mean, we got so many gadgets and so many gizmos for every situation. I mean, we have the equivalent of the shark repellent. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, and adaptable too with the Ergo Home stuff that came out oh, yeah. from that we developed within coronavirus. Take a listen to that podcast if you guys have missed that as well. We've got all sorts of tools. It's true. And so we're, we're more than glad that to help anybody to make sure that they are receiving the, the highest quality interactions with their employees because when you do that, it makes a difference. I, Whenever I see have a group of new hire, I always ask them, all right, how many people here have worked at a place that has had this type of service? And in a group of 20, there may be one, maybe two. And so it, it's rare, it makes you stick out and it makes a difference in people's lives. So thank you for listening to this episode of Workplace Injury Prevention of Fit for Work podcast, where we are bringing the power of prevention to you. Please like and subscribe wherever you listen. And if you have any questions or comments, please email us at podcast at wellworkforce.com. And to get started preventing injuries, visit our website, wellworkforce.com and click on connect with us to learn more. And remember, prevention improves lives. 